0: Welcome to Autism in the Adult podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Teresa Regan, an adult neuropsychologist. I specialize in brain behavior relationships for those 14 and older. I'm the parent of an amazing teen on the autism spectrum and a certified autism specialist. I'm deeply grateful to bring validation, hope, and purpose to individuals and their families living on the autism spectrum. With this mission at its core, I founded and currently direct the OSF Healthcare Adult Diagnostic Autism Center in Central Illinois. My books include Understanding Autism in Adults and Aging Adults and Understanding Autistic Behaviors. For more information and to join my online community for free, visit www.adultandgeriatricautism.com. Please join me in helping individuals, couples, and families thrive while living life on the autism spectrum. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Regan. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Our topic is police officer versus detective. And this is one of my favorite topics. I feel really strongly about it. And it's going to be something that relates to how we go about uh, asking other people for a shift in their behavior. So this happens in many contexts in all uh, spheres of our life where we want someone to change a pattern of behavior. We want them to do something more. We want them to do something less. We want them to do something differently. And one of the main strategies that we use for this has to do with policing someone's behavior. So we tell them that they're not meeting our expectations, they're not fulfilling uh, the things that we'd like to get done or the things that we've talked about before, they haven't met the goal, they haven't made progress, and we want them to do better in the future that it's really important Uh, We want them to listen, we want them to understand why this behavioral shift is critical, and we want to see improvement. So we might take that stance if we are a teacher of students, if we're a parent, we might take that stance with our partner, our best friend, our spouse. If we are someone's employer, if we're a manager, we're going to be giving people feedback about ways that they need to improve or ways that they need to shift their behavior. Our main strategy, as I said, really relies on pointing out what's gone wrong, telling the person why it's important to shift and do better, ask them why these mistakes keep happening or why the goal is consistently unmet or frequently unmet, and then really strongly urging them to do better. Uh, In certain instances, we might have consequences if we're parenting, if we're an employer, there might be consequences for not meeting goal, for not uh, being accurate and quick in the work that you're doing. So there may also be that last layer. The consequences might be really clear and specific, like you get this ticket for speeding, Uh, the consequences may also be more emotional, that I don't feel connected to you anymore, I don't enjoy being around you anymore, I'm angry with, with you, and you're gonna feel that kind of emotional consequence for not living up to the person's expectations. I think it's really difficult to rely on that strategy to bring about behavioral shifts. We all, as humans, are going to ask people to shift their behavior. That's not wrong, it's really part of living. We're gonna live together, we're gonna work together, we're in this together, we have common goals, and let's try to compromise, let's problem solve, let's do this thing together. So it's not wrong to try to get people around us to adjust to shifting behavior. The problem with the police officer approach is that it's often our only approach or our go-to approach, our primary approach. And this way of addressing behavioral shifts, it often aligns us in that moment as being adversarial, that we are pointing out that they are not meeting our expectations, that they're not doing well that what they're doing is unacceptable, and we're pointing that out, we're police, policing that, we're asking for a shift that's not happening. Another part about it, besides there being an adversarial position, is we are assuming that the person can shift that if they want to. So when we're asking someone to do something, we're really assuming they can do it. Right? We're not going to ask somebody to do something that we know they're not capable of. So if I asked a two-year-old every day to run a marathon with adults, well, I'm going to be disappointed because that is just not a goal that can be reached. Now, in our everyday life, when we're asking people to shift behaviors, we assume that the person can just do it if they're committed to the situation, if they want to be good at their job, if they love us in our uh, marriage relationship, uh, if they wanna be obedient in a childhood parent relationship, we're assuming that that's a goal that they can reach. And that's not always true. So that's a mistake that we make inherent in just saying, hey, do better. Another problem with this strategy is it's really not very effective especially for those things that are repeated conversations these are the things that we say we have this conversation so many times and sometimes you do it well and sometimes you don't sometimes you meet my expectations and sometimes you don't therefore you know just get it together and do it correctly all of the time and in in reality, what ends up ha- happening in the long term is that that kind of conversation isn't that effective. So we'll have short spurts where the person might be able to do better. But in the long term, that consistency, that efficiency of improving in that area a lot of times is really lacking. And we get very frustrated and the other person is frustrated. And that brings us to My last problem with it, that there's this difficulty where sometimes not only is there a lack of progress in the long term, but there can also be an increase in problems so that this emotional toll of being told repeatedly that you don't measure up, that you're not doing well, that you failed again, that really can cause this emotional uh, rift in relationship, so that, you know, your spouse feels like they can never please you. Um, the child feel feels they can just never be the kid that you want. They can't do all of these things correctly. Uh, and you also are getting frustrated if you're the person asking for the shift and you're saying, well, if you really cared about me, you know, this would be going better. If you really cared about your job, why don't you care about it? Why aren't you invested? There can be the end result of shame in that relationship of hopelessness. Like there's just no way I'll ever meet this expectation. I'm never going to please this person. And there can be an escalation of problematic behavior. So if you're on the end of this pretty constant uh, reprimand or feedback that you're not measuring up, uh, you may react with kind of a fight reaction, which would be an externalized reaction, like, hey, back off. You know, you might uh, say, hey, I don't care about that anyway. I don't care about the task, I don't care about pleasing you. So you might get aggressive to defend yourself. You might have a flight reaction, like, this is so overwhelming to be berated again. I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to go to my room. I'm going to leave the house. I'm going to quit this job. I'm going to stop this relationship. I'm withdrawing. Or there might be a freeze reaction. That, wow, I have nothing to defend myself. I don't think I can meet any of these expectations. So I... I can't escape, so I'm just going to sit here, but I'm really not processing what's happening. I'm kind of dissociating that the emotional part of me is turned off, the thinking part of me is turned off, and I'm just sitting here staring, not knowing what to do. An approach I really like better is something I call being a detective. So instead of policing, the detective approach starts with observations about what you observe. And the observations are clues. The observations are not something you say, hey, I observe this, now do better. The observations give you clues about what is difficult for this person, what is inconsistent, what often happens. And this is considered data. And then you can say, now that you have these clues, I wonder what a strategy could be to move forward with this, to have something better happen next time. What do you think you need to approach this differently? Or what ideas do you have for uh, having a different outcome next time? Let's take an example where I highlight the police approach and the detective approach for the same situations. We're going to do two different situations, and we're going to bring it back to the topic of autism. Specifically with regard to autism, there are barriers to everyday living that other people might want shifted. And we'll highlight some of these in the two examples. And the first one's going to be an adolescent and a parent. The adolescent is on the spectrum. And the next example, we're going to talk about a middle-aged couple uh, that's having some marriage and communication problems. So let's take the younger example first. Let's say there's a high school student named John and he is on the autism spectrum. He gets good grades in school, A's and B's. But when he comes home from school after being a model student in the classroom, he is exhausted, emotionally, physically, mentally. And he comes in the door, he drops his backpack on the floor, He stomps up the stairs, he slams his door, he hides under his covers literally, and takes out his iPad. And while he's on the iPad, he watches TikTok videos, he looks up new articles and interesting trivia about animals because that's one of his favorite topics. And he also watches videos of waterfalls, which he finds to be very calming. He'll put his headphones on. If his mom calls or knocks on the door, he does not respond. And mom is getting pretty darn tired of what she calls, quote, the silent treatment and the, quote, rude behavior that he shows to her because his teachers just talk about how he's wonderfully polite, very academically um, high in the class, and very uh, very much a rule follower. And she's saying, we have rules in this house, young man, that you take your shoes off without walking on the carpet in your shoes, you hang your book bag up, you come and politely say, hi, I'm home, how was your day? I make you a snack. You tell me what homework you have. You know you're not allowed to be on your iPad until you do your homework. So there are these rules and expectations that mom has, and her interpretation of his behavior is that he's rude, he treats her uh, much more coldly than he would the teachers, Uh, that he's really not helping her out, she says, with her... Jobs and chores around the house where she says, You know, I've worked all day too, and now I'm the one who has to clean up the book bag and set things in order and make sure you get your homework done. So both of them are really feeling strained. They're really upset. Um, Their relationship is becoming more and more strained. Her comments are also peppered with things like this. You know, the other day you came home, you gave me a peck on the cheek, you told me a funny thing that happened that day, so I know you can do this. You're just really being rude to my feelings and disregarding me as a person when you don't greet me and do some of your chores as you get in the house. So her observations are correct. All of that data is correct. He has uh, sometimes behaved um, in a way that meets her expectations and even exceeds her expectations at times. The teachers do say he's a model pupil and student at school, uh, and he does disregard her. That is true when he comes home. And he goes upstairs. Her assumption, though, is that he could easily do, quote, better if he only loved her enough or respected her enough to meet her behavioral expectations, to be polite, to just have a general regard for the cleanliness of home, to get, her, uh, to get his homework done without, without a lot of nagging. This kind of adversarial exchange they have going on isn't helping him engage, though. And she's really misinterpreting what's happening for this uh, autism teen. So here is a teen who puts all of his effort uh, and strength and concentration into sitting still in the classroom, to tolerating crowds of behaviors, to watch other students breaking the rules, which is very upsetting to him during the classroom, but he just bites his tongue and doesn't say anything. He gets frustrated in class because teachers sometimes get their facts wrong, and the facts are very important to him. He has to study things he has no interest in at all, And he also has to go to P.E. where he gets frustrated because he's not picked for teams that the other students are on. He's made fun of. His coordination isn't great. He's not a great team player. He'd rather be in the library reading a book. So a correct interpretation of his behavior actually is that, you know, he's had it. He's done. He is empty Uh, And she's probably also had it and is done and is empty. And they're relying on each other to kind of fill each other up, to be polite, to be nice, to recoup together, or at least that's her expectation. So what if mom were able to be a detective instead of a police officer? What kind of outcome would come then? Well, she might say, as she watches him go upstairs, enter his room, shut the door, go under the covers, she might say, wow, that's a clue. He's had a really difficult day. He's running on empty. So that's a clue. That behavior is communication. That's him coming home saying, I'm running on empty. I've got nothing for you today. And... Maybe as a detective, she takes five minutes just to leave him in peace. She might then go up, knock gently on the door and open the door quietly and say, I can see you've had a really tough day at school today. Why don't you go ahead and regroup for 10 minutes and I'll be up and we'll try to figure out what you need to feel better and then she can go downstairs. So maybe what he needs is 30 or 40 or 45 minutes of time on his iPad to do those soothing things. Maybe he needs very little interaction during that time, actually under the covers, to reduce that sensory input. Maybe... When they're figuring this out together, not in the heat of this moment, but as detectives together, maybe they realize that really having his favorite food to eat as he walks in really helps him recoup. Maybe he is someone on the spectrum who benefits from deep pressure. Maybe that's calming. Maybe he uses a weighted blanket. Or maybe he really is soothed and centered by taking a shower. The nice thing about this is it doesn't damage their relationship. It acknowledges that they both have different needs and both sets of needs are important. It allows mom to be someone who approaches the situation as a partner As someone who can say, your well-being is important to me. I know what this behavior means. And she may even be able to say, I really feel like we need to shift how things go when you come home. I'd really like there to be some progress with where your bag goes. But maybe she's able to partner instead of police. And to say, but I also know that your system is really burnout." I want you to be doing well. How can we shift things? How can we help your system? Maybe you could go down after 45 minutes and do just three things. Put your bag in this cubby hole, eat your snack, and take out a list of your assignments. The partner, the detective is one who says, wow, that's a clue. That behavior is a clue. And I can see that, or I'm wondering if you're really burnt out right now, if that's why it's really hard to engage. And what strategy could we use so that we both get our needs met? Let's take one more example before we close. Let's take an example of a couple who's been married for 25 years they are not yet at retirement, but they are empty nesters. So they had three children. They are out of the home doing their own thing. And because they have more time together, there's a lot more focus on the things that the wife, let's call her Mary, would like to do as a couple. You know, when we were dating, you used to bring me flowers for no reason, And when we were first married, you used to just call me over lunch from work and we could see how our day's going. And now when you come home, you just go straight down to your model trains and you don't even say hi and we don't end up eating dinner together. So I really want, I want more interaction with you. I want romance. I want to go back to being a couple. And she might say the same thing that the mom did in the last example. She might say, you used to do it, so I know you can do it. And again, there can be this adversarial policing over time. You used to do this, and you're not doing this. So what if she took more of a detective stance Maybe she could say, "Hey, I see that we're both in our very own worlds here, and that's common when we've had kids for so long that have filled up my day and now I'd really like to reconnect. I know that's shifting gears." You know, so the the spouse on the spectrum is going to have difficulty with transitions and with really knowing what someone wants and expects from them. So here's a gentleman who decompresses from work by going to work on his model trains. So her asking for romance in itself is going to be demanding and kind of draining for him to shift toward. And it's not going to help him regroup regroup after work. So she could police that behavior again and again over these first couple years of empty nesting and hope that he can kind of come into line with things that she would like better. Or she could try more of a partnership and a detective kind of stance where she says, you know, your time with your model trains is really important. I know that you decompress, I know you love them. Uh, I want you to have that time. I'd also love to have time with you. How could we sort out a strategy for that? And usually this sorting out of strategy is kind of a a give and take. You test the limits of something, you try something out. Uh, One thing works, another thing doesn't work. And then the goal is that hopefully After you've tried a lot of things out, you'll have one or two things that tend to work. And you know that over a season, things might shift again, and what used to work doesn't anymore. Uh, But then, you again, you shift gears. What strategy might work now that used to work? What might work now? So maybe they decide to have a specific night where they have a candlelit dinner at home, And because they both like to cook, they take turns picking a new recipe to try and then they cook it together. And they light the candles and they listen to some music. And he knows that he can count on number one, when that's going to happen, where he's going to have to shift his time with his hobby. And also what his role is. So it's not just like, He has to figure out, are we supposed to hold hands? Are we supposed to gaze into each other's eyes? There's a task and an activity that's romantic. It brings people together. They both like it, but it does have some structure. We pick a recipe. We cook together. We eat it together. We light candles. And then, you know, you get to have alone time. Before we wrap this up, I'm going to comment on the one thing that both the mom and the wife were feeling and noticing. And that is, you used to do this, or I've seen you do it, so I know that you could do it. And that actually isn't quite how the brain works. So when there's a weakness, when there's something that's difficult, we're going to have this inconsistency in our behaviors. So when we see something come and go, that could be a clue that this is something that's neurologically weak. It's not easy, it's not consistent, it comes and goes. It takes a lot of energy. As an analogy, let's take the example of someone that can go to work and do a super great job on two hours of sleep, but they can't do that every night. Or the person that runs a marathon for fun, that's super. I've seen them do it, they're capable of it, but they can't do that every day. That's a difficult thing. That's something they stretch to do. The same is true of behavior, and we all have this. For example, if I do great one day with organization that's usually really effortful for me, I'm probably not going to be able to be consistent with that all the time. It's like, wow, I pulled that off. (laughs) That's something I don't pull together very often, Another thing that can happen is not only inconsistency, but let's say I pull off this organizational task that's really effortful for me, I'm probably gonna notice that something else got missed. So maybe I pulled that off, but I forgot to pick up uh, groceries that we really needed or a prescription, or I was irritable and snappy with somebody else, which I normally wouldn't be, but I spent all my energy in this one area. In the case of the student, sure, that student's gonna have some good days. You're gonna see this little glimpse of behavior that he just can't keep consistent. It really drains him. He has to be in a really great space to pull that off. And then as a detective, she can say, wow, he's in a really great place today. That's good to know. Now with the spouse, a lot of times you'll see this in the early relationship. The dating relationship can be a little bit more defined than the marriage relationship. So this person might know, oh, I bring flowers when I have a date, or I compliment the dress that she's wearing. So there can be a little bit more guidance and structure in that role. It's also true that it's a new thing. So in a new relationship, it can almost be the person's special interest like you are fascinating to me. I like to get to know you. I think about you. I do things with you. And then maybe the interest shifts a bit and he goes back to the other hobbies, the model trains, etc. Another reason for that in a marriage is that once you have kids there's lots of social multitasking. So now this child has a need and my wife has a need and these other two kids have needs. And so sometimes there's kind of a backing off of that original uh, kind of romantic attention. But for whatever reasons, it's important to know that inconsistent behavior is very neurologically predictable in whatever area is weak for that person It's important to know that there are other strategies besides policing that often bring much better outcomes, avoid uh, escalated behavior like fighting back or flight or freeze, and also can really bring about uh, some steps forward without the shame and the hopelessness that some of these other policing approaches might take. I really hope that you can consider yourself a detective, not only about the behaviors of people around you, but about what makes you tick and what you need. And you can come together with other people and say, your needs are really important. Your well-being is important to me. And I also have a need. I have this need, and it's important. How can we think of a strategy to make this work better, that we're coming alongside rather than pitting against someone else. I'm so glad you joined me today. I hope you join me next time for this podcast, Autism in Adults.